0: Good morning, Mike. Good morning. All right, am I out there? You hear me okay? All right, thanks. Yes, watch your mouth. That is uh, where we're headed today. Such an exciting, exciting thing. If you can turn to James 3, I'd appreciate that. James 3 in your Bible. Uh, We are starting our new series called Watch Your Mouth, and today's sermon is titled Watch Your Mouth. And we're going to do an introduction today uh, into this theme, and uh, just give us some some cursory like... uh, tools and and knowledge about the tongue and about uh, where we're heading in the coming weeks. Uh, We have about five weeks total on this series. Um, And and I want to say this, uh, uh, this series to me, excuse me, it started many, many years ago in my mind. I I remember um, it wasn't called something so nice as watch your mouth at that point. Um, And I was, I think, a youth pastor at the time. And I just remember, you know, being around teenagers and, and hearing them talk. Right, and some of the things they would say, I'd just be like, I, "Here's my here's my reaction to that." And maybe you've had this similar reaction. You've heard something said, and you're just like, "Are you kidding me? That they just said that, or they're saying that, or they speak that?" Right? And it started with with students, and then as I was a, a youth pastor for longer, <clears throat> I found it in parents too. It would happen with parents because parents are pretty passionate about their children or about other people's children, right? And and so they would say something, and I'd just be like, "Are you kidding me?" They're saying that out loud to me, right? I'm supposed to be a pastor. They're saying this out loud. <clears throat> and then as time went along, even now as I'm a pastor of a church, not just a youth pastor, um, I, it's, it's in the churchgoers. Now, I, I say churchgoers because uh, obviously this is happening worldwide, all around the world, 24-7, every day, all, all the time, right? We know the world behaves like the world, and they say things they shouldn't say all the time. But then within our own congregation, You'd hear the stories or the, the backbiting or the resentment or the, the anger or the gossip or the slander. And I would just say, are you kidding me? Right? And, and of course, I think as a pastor, I think that I'm the one that people like to tattletale to the most. And that makes me say, are you kidding me? But, but I needed to take one step further. And, and I really want you and I to all take one step further because I had to do that personally. It was when I was sitting at my desk one day, and I was reflecting on a conversation I had just had, and something that I had just said, and I hung my head down low, and to myself, I said, are you kidding me? You just said what? And I had to eat my words, and I had to apologize. I had to seek repentance and try to restore a relationship that I had broken because of an errant word that I had said. And it wasn't just once. Amen? How many times have we let something slip where we'd have to say, are you kidding me? Did I just say that? Now, as we start this, it's very, very important. Like any marriage uh, retreat we'd have, I'd say the same thing. This is not a series where you are to elbow the person next to you. Do you get that? I want you to look to the person next to you and say, this is about me and my heart, not about you. Okay? This is about me and my heart, not about you. Now certainly I know the, the concepts should, should overarchingly impact all of us, but we have to individually let it start within us. It's so, so simple for us to tell of all the tales and all the ways that you have been bad. But for me to look at my own heart and let it start with me is what we're going to talk about this series, okay? So I'll remind you that every day we're here, this is for you individually, not for your neighbor. So husbands and wives, don't be doing this, right? Sons and daughters, grandma and grandpa, don't be elbowing your neighbor unless you have a medical emergency. All right? I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. We're going to get to James chapter 1. We're going to read the entire chapter and then we'll get to work. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your love and your grace and for your word. And Lord, as, as we approach this conversation and this text, God, we we ask that you would help us learn from it. God, and, and for us to learn from it and to, to apply the truths we learn from your word, it's going to take you doing business in our heart. So God, we ask maybe reluctantly that you would open our hearts. That you would, you would let us see what's really inside. You would, you would wreck us from the inside out so that, God, we could be changed and, and challenged and ultimately that we would be transformed and conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. That, that not all the actions that we act, but the words that we say from our lips would be what Jesus would want us to say. And God, we thank you so much that there is forgiveness in Christ for every time that we have spoken when we shouldn't have spoken for every mean or bad or malicious thing we have said for everything we have shared when we weren't supposed to god we know there's forgiveness in christ help us come repentantly to you not only seeking forgiveness but seeking to be and live differently we thank you we ask that you guide our time together by the power of your spirit and we pray in christ's name amen, amen. we're in james chapter 3 I know I asked you to turn there. I'm going to have to turn there myself. James chapter 3. And we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 18 together. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, also able to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessings and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitterness and envy, or bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. This is the word of God. So today we're going to look at uh, this, this whole topic of watching your mouth, and we're going to learn some things from James chapter 3, and I know there's millions of other things we could probably learn and, and tear this apart. There's a lot of passages here, but I, I really want us to look at three different things today uh, that will help us as we start navigating uh, this entire sermon series and moving forward. And, and understand this, like today is an introduction. So uh, here's, here's a, a little snapshot of some things to come. We have four more sermons after today that that we'll deal with in no particular order, by the way, and I'm not going to reveal that to you because you might conveniently decide you don't want to come, right? Because I know (laughs) I would. Like, wait, what are they talking about today? I'm not going, right? So here are some things in no particular order that we will be talking about. One sermon will deal with angry words and grumbling and judgmental speech. Fun, huh? One sermon will talk about sarcasm, boasting, flattery, lies, and deceit. One will talk about cursing and careless, filthy talk. And one will talk about gossip, slander, discontentment, and critical speech. These are the things that, that the Scriptures talk about that are things from the tongue that we need to master and need to not be participating in. So that's where we'll go in the, in the coming weeks. But today, again, we set the framework uh, of what we're going to look at overarching uh, on the series of Watch Your Mouth. Number one, and we'll give you have your notes in front of you, uh, number one is this, the tongue is powerful, and it is restless. The tongue is powerful, and it is restless. If you look at verse 1 back in James 3, it says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive stricter judgment. Now, for many of you, when I read that verse a few minutes ago, you're like, see, Brandon, it's just about you leaders here. This is not about us. You kind of checked out, okay? Okay. I get it, right? But what James is saying is, listen, this happens all the time. You see the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you see these people who are teachers of the law. They're lording it over people, and they're using their speech to manipulate people. They're using their speech to manipulate and deceive other people. And he says, listen, you're supposed to be a leader. You're a shepherd. They are following you, and people who are leaders and teachers are going to be held to a higher account. So, yes, teachers, leaders, shepherds, elders, you and I are going to be held to a higher account for the things that we do. Say, because the things that we say have even more weight, and thus can be even more destructive, or even more life-giving. Now, but for for all you who thought this is only for teachers, let's look at verse two. James really quickly shifts gears, doesn't he? He says, "For we all stumble." Not just leaders and teachers, but we all. James pulls it right back in and says, yes, what leaders and teachers say, and you know it using it as an example, it it is very impactful. But we all, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature and able to control his whole body, saying, listen, when you can control what you say, you can control the direction of your life. And the more you can do that, the better off you're going to be. And he, then he uses some examples here, doesn't he? The idea of the tongue is powerful. We see it, what? If we put bits into the mouths of horses uh, so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though they are very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will the pilot directs. Uh, I want you to look at two things here before we move on uh, on verse 5. One of the things is this. We put bits into the mouths of horses. So we talk about a small thing. Which is what? The bit. It's the bit in the horse. Okay. Now, it's not the bit's fault that the horse moves left and right, though, right? Because it says, we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they what? Obey us. Us, right? There is a will behind the bit. Going on, he says this. uh, Ships, consider ships, though they're very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a small rudder. Right, we're talking about a little small rudder at the back of bottom of the ship that that steers it through the water, and, and, and but they're guided by this rudder what wherever the will of the pilot directs. Do you understand that? So we have we have the bit which is controlled by, by and directed by the rider, the will of the rider, and we have a, a boat that is turning with the rudder as the will of the pilot or the helmsman directs. Do we understand that? There is a will behind that. So you and I don't have this, this ex- excuse that we like to well, that's just the way I grew up. I just talk like that. I don't, I don't know why. There's a will behind it. There is a will behind it. Understand that, all right? Let's go on. Verse 5, So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how, how a small fire sets ablaze to a larger forest. And the tongue is a fire. So talking about the instrument here, the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body and sets the course of our life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. We'll stop there for a minute. What we're talking about is this power of the tongue. The the tongue and what we speak out of our mouth has, has this ability to change the course and direction of our lives. And, and, the, and the foundness that comes out and the, and the anger or the discord that comes out is, is itself right from hell. And it sets life ablaze. Many of us have probably experienced that personally in our own lives. Something said to us. Something said about us. Not even to us, but about us behind our back. Maybe, maybe it was in your childhood and, and, and the way that you were treated and how it's affected you years, decades later. And you still are holding on to, or you're still scarred by something somebody said. Do you understand? Do you understand that the the tongue, although it's small, it boasts great power. It's powerful. And it's restless. It goes on in verse 7. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish uh, is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But, what? No one, no one can tame the tongue. No one contained, that's kind of depressing, by the way. Maybe your excuse is right. I just can't help it. You're right. No one contained the tongue. It says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It, man, being a restless evil, that is, here's the picture of that. You and I just minding our own business. And then some thought comes to mind and then we just speak. And out of our mouth comes foulness and, and hatred or gossip or anger or malice. And we, it's just, you see, our tongue was just sitting there, just kind of restless, like, when can I say something? When can I speak? I want to do it. Here we go. Let's, I want to talk. I want to talk. Let me loose. Let me loose. It's like that raging bull. We watched the movie What Secretariat the other day, my kids, like the, those, those horses behind the gate getting ready to run that Kentucky Derby. There's a restlessness to our tongue. Best thing to do is keep the gate shut. Because <laughs> when you let that out, it is going to run. It is going to run. That's why we got to watch our mouths, knowing that our tongue is evil, and knowing no one can tame it. That might be depressing, but we're going to see what, is take, what it takes to tame the tongue today and, and in the coming weeks. I want to mention uh, this, this little small thing, right? The idea of a rudder on a boat. The Titanic is 800, or it was, 882 feet long. It was 175 feet high, and it was 92 feet across. The rudder on the Titanic was only 15 feet tall. Now, we think, oh, that's huge. That's like the ceiling, right? Yes, but we're talking about 175 feet from the bottom to the top and 882 feet from the back to the front. Such a small, small thing. Now, we talk about the Titanic because it's massive. It had nothing to do, the rudder had nothing to do with why it sank, right? They were able to turn and steer the ship. Maybe they should have steered the other direction. Yin instead of yanged, whatever it might have been. But the rudder still is the thing that turns that entire ship the rudder if a rudder drives a ship and a beer a bit steers the horses that we ride and the question is this in what direction is your tongue and my tongue driving us where where is our tongue taking us because it is what is steering our lives and and the answer is this it's either taking us toward god or it's taking us toward god and toward others or away from god and away from others it's causing unity or it's causing Division, small, and, and here's the thing about small course changes. I talked about this in, in, a, in a time this week with a, with a gentleman, and just speaking about the course changes we make in life. It's so uh, my, my kids uh, had my uncle up oh, a couple months ago, and he, they, he did a little was um, a uh, scavenger hunt with them. And the scavenger hunt he, he went outside and he put things clues different places, and he wrote down, you know on a compass, you have the, the degrees and direction that you have to go, right? So you can you, you say okay you face south and you you walk uh, south at you know whatever degrees uh, this many steps and that's where you should lead. The problem: the kids went out there. They kept coming back inside. Oh, we can't find it. We can't find it. We can't find it. Why couldn't they find it? Because they, they were they were on the compass and they were like, oh yeah, th- there it is. That, that's a, that's about where it is. About where it is will get you from here to there. It, you're not going to be far off. But when you're 300 paces that direction. What does a small little course direction, correction here do, out there? It changes the destination completely. Do we understand that? That's what the mouth has the power to do. As you and I speak, and as we make these little course corrections, and as tongue sets the course of our life, we may not think it's such a big deal now. But tell that to the people who 10 years ago made that little course of correction and they're nowhere to be seen within Christendom at all anymore. That has changed the course and direction of their life totally. And they are at a totally different destination than they ever thought they would be. So for you and I, what we say, how we say it is so important. Life and death hang in the the balance of that. Uh, Our destination is at stake. And that's why James makes such a big deal about this. We don't think we make a big deal. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I just said that, and then, then we may have said that, or like we're, we kind of feel sorry about saying that, but then we never go repent and actually become sorry and and restore relationship, so that oil and water just continues to separate, and we still lead to a different destination. The hope is that we don't do that. We we shouldn't do that. May we never do that. Small again. Small course changes lead to a huge differences completely different destinations. Proverbs 13 says this, the one who guards his mouth protects his life, but the one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Every time we speak, we may be about to sin and about to ruin our own life. Everything that comes out of your mouth matters. Everything that comes out of my mouth matters, which means that you and I have never spoken a neutral word in our lives. That we have never spoken a neutral word in our lives. We may think, oh, that wasn't a big deal. It didn't mean anything. Oh, it meant something. Our words, our words have the, the ability and the power to move towards life and be life-giving. We move towards the direction of death and ruin. Again, think about how words impact us. We talked about these negative words, uh, negative words of contempt or judgment, and they're the ones that we contemplate the most, aren't, aren't they? I, don't, I can't remember the statistic about, about children and how they, um, how they respond, but one negative comment, you have to, it takes so many positive comments to even kind of override or outbalance that negative comment towards a child or towards a person. Think about that. You might have had 15 compliments this morning, and that one person said, you look funny, and you're like, that's all I'm thinking about like I must look funny and it, it, the compliments don't matter anymore. Right, I talk about this this idea of a criticism sandwich that my brother-in-law always says this is how we should should operate. When we talk about and we need to approach someone and and maybe we're being critical or we we went to criticize or gently love lovingly rebuke them, start with a it's a criticism sandwich. You start with something good, reaffirm them, encourage them, we want to build them up, then say but hey, listen, let's talk about this thing. But hey, b- by the way, I I love you, and God loves you, these things can change. You're still these other, th- other ways, they're doing good. Yeah, make that, that criticism sandwich, or I like to call it an Oreo. That's what it is, right? right? So, but that's, that's important. We want to be positive in what we say and encouraging as well in what we say. So These negative things have impacts on us, right? They end up having a negative impo- impact that can cause us to feel low and, and worthless, this can even go on for years and see that kind of language isn't about the gospel see one, it's one thing to say and, and and let people know that they are sinners separated by god because of their sin and to let them know about the love of god and the kindness of god and the grace of god that has appeared and given given to us through jesus christ on the cross and that, that if they repent of their sin and turn to him in faith they can be forgiven of everything they've ever done and they can have new life in christ and be assured of heaven that is not bad speech we want people to know they're sinful. We want people to know that they need, need Jesus, they, that Jesus in Jesus there's hope. But we don't want to beat people down and leave them with no hope. We have to have hope. This can go on for years, though, right? And, and think about the impact in a, in a family. Maybe, maybe you rese- resemble this. Uh, and and I, God forbid that it, it does happen. We, we see these negative impacts all around us. But maybe in your home, you have been verbally abused by your parents or siblings, for years and years and years. And I, you know, I, am, I there's no way to condone any kind of abuse towards children, right? A verbal, um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, any of that is absolutely horrible. And those scars last forever and ever. But think about these forms of abuse, and especially as you talk about verbal abuse, verbal abuse, it's, it's like that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? Sometimes it's rather I just be beat instead of verbally beat. Right? So some people would, would rather have had that happen in their own life. Just I wish my dad hit me harder instead of talked to me the way he did. Why? Because when, when, you're, when you're verbally abused, when it comes out of the mouth, it's not just verbal abuse. It's, it ends up being emotional, mental, psychological, spiritual abuse that lasts for years and years and years. The same can be said for encouraging speech, though, right? It's so important to have encouraging speech around us. Things said in love in order to build up. And when those types of words are spoken to us, it is life-giving. Amen? I, I, I want to let you know, like, I, I keep every encouraging card that is written to me, and I reread them in different times so that I can maintain proper perspective. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your encouraging words that you have written to me over the years. I have a pile of those in my desk, but the ones that I've thrown away are much greater than the ones that I've been encouraged in. So, and, and, and I've made it a policy. I don't keep those. I file those in a special bin that we have in our office. It, it's, a, it's a machine that when it goes through, it just shreds it. <laughs> right? So the ones that want to be critical, and I, I, I welcome, I'll be the first to tell you, I welcome you coming to me and saying, Brandon, you have sinned against me. Brandon, you have done something that was unbiblical or wrong. Brandon you have have hurt me I I want you to do that you come to my office you come to my home we have lunch we sit down and you let me know and I will say I am so sorry because I love you and I don't want to use my words to hurt you but when it's an anonymous letter or a quick text email or whatever they send in that says something critical or stupid that, that, that just doesn't edify or build up it doesn't belong in my memory banks anymore we need to be people that are encouraging to those around us, building up others so it might benefit those who listen. We'll see that in a few minutes as well. Proverbs 10, 9, 19 says this, really convicting for me. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. Now, I'm a pretty outgoing guy. I talk a lot. And not only am I an outgoing guy, I'm a preacher, so I talk a lot. And I counsel a lot. I'm on the phone a lot. I try to text not so much. I probably, I probably speak upwards of 20,000 or more words a day. That's 20,000 or more opportunities where sin might be unavoidable for me. That is, that is a tough place to be in for all of us. I, I hope you talk way less than I do. And I wish to talk less as well. Every time we open our mouths, we are on the edge, right on the edge of... Sinning, right on the edge of sinning. And James, we see in our text in James that that sinful talk has its origins in hell, and it touches every corner of the life, or the lives that it sins against. Again, life and death are in the power of the tongue. I remember years ago, my friend, late the late Gary Vanderwalker, pastor at EV Free. He 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 sat down and we were talking about the power of the tongue, and and we were talking. I've I shared this I think illustration before with you years ago. We talked about the power of the tongue. And he said, imagine you're up on the the continental divide in the Rocky Mountains. And you're way up there in the mountains and it's glorious views and amazing. And right in front of you on the very tip, on the very edge and the very peak of this uh, continental divide is a puddle. And you can put your hand in that puddle. He says, here's how the tongue works. You put your hand in that puddle and you just push the water this way and it falls off of one side. You push the water this way and it falls off of one side. And, and here's how powerful the tongue is. The water that runs down one side will end up at the Pacific Ocean, and the water that runs down the other side will end up in the Gulf of Mexico or in the Atlantic. That's how powerful our tongues are. We don't think it is in the moment. We just think we're pushing water around. But it gives life, or it brings death, and it's in the power of the tongue. It's so, so powerful. In fact, when rabbis talked about the power of the tongue, they, they used the illustration of an arrow instead of a sword or a dagger. Because we would love to say that it only happens when we're face-to-face with someone, right? That, that harsh words or bad things said about us are only right here in personal and like sticking us with a dagger, but that's not the case, is it? How many of us let our tongues loose like an arrow and let it fly without even ever being face-to-face with somebody? Rabbi said it's more like an arrow because it will wound from a distance. So we talk about watching our mouth. As we look at this first point, we have to understand the tongue is powerful and it's restless. And and the hard part is that we see in James, no one can tame the tongue. So that leads us to point number two. What, What else do we see in this text? Number two is this, that the heart gives instructions to the tongue. The heart is what is giving instructions to the tongue. We saw that earlier, right? The idea of the will behind the bit or the will behind the rudder is an actual person's will. The same is true with our tongue. The heart is giving instructions to the tongue. So when we say, oh, that's not, that's, that, they aren't like that. That's not really who they are. I would, I would beg to differ. Scripture says this, the tongue is the tattletale of the heart. It, it tells on us every single time. And there are times where I, I don't talk a lot. I may be in my office and maybe counseling with someone or visiting with someone, and I might let them talk. Why do I do that? Because I'll know what's really going on. Why? Because we will tell on ourselves with the words we say. We, we will expose ourselves deeply and what's going on in our heart. I, I like another way to say this: the tongue produces what it is told to produce from the heart. The tongue produces what it is told to produce from the heart. Look at verses 9 through 12 back in our in our text of. Uh, James 3, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. It says they can't be that way. It doesn't work that way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. See, it's revealing something deeper, isn't it? What we say reveals what's in the heart. And I want us to understand something. I don't think this is an all-or-nothing Thing. I think it is a, is a progressive sanctification thing that the more we know Jesus, the more we love his word, the more we abide in his spirit, the more like him we are going to be in our talk. But you and I always have to watch our mouths, don't we? We are always going to have to watch what we say and why we say it and to who we say it to, because we have the propensity to sin. So that there was, in, in my life, there was a point, I think it was in seventh grade, where I, I made this decision, I'm, I'm not going to say any foul language I'm not going to cuss at all. I'm just done. I kind of got into this little thing in like sixth and seventh grade. I wanted to be I'd be cool like everybody else, and started using foul language around all my buddies. And I just and God got a hold of my heart. He's like, "What are you doing? You you sound ignorant, first of all, but you aren't honoring me at all." And I determined I, I'm not. I'm done with that. I'm done. And I stopped overnight. I stopped. It was done. That does not mean I had I'm, I'm done having a problem with my mouth or having a problem with my heart, right? Because all my life since I was since I could talk. I have had a problem restraining what I would say or how I would say it or who I would say it to or when I should say it, right? All of those things. And so so it's not just one thing. It's it's all of these things that, so maybe I stopped swearing, but maybe I didn't stop slandering. And I'm still working through that, right? I would say this, that, that what God is doing is trying to purify your heart. God wants to cleanse your heart. God wants to make your heart new so that your heart begins to produce something different paul talks about this in galatians where there's a waged war and jeff read, read about that too against the spirit and the flesh right he says if you if you live by the spirit you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature the flesh <coughs> instead you'll live by the spirit and you'll be controlled by the spirit and the, and we, the fruit of the spirit is obvious right love joy peace patience, patience we see that the and and so the question is which one wins in that battle between the flesh and the spirit, which one is going to win? We all have a heart problem, and we need to take care of it at the heart level. How do we do that? Which one wins? The one we feed the most. The one we feed the most. And, and I, I know there are times in my life I have just gravitated towards Gossip. I have gravitated towards getting that little nugget of information. I have gravitated towards sharing something I should never, ever share in my life. Have you ever felt that pool? Am I the only one? You ever felt that, like that magnet, like oh, I gotta, I gotta say, I gotta share. I, I have something to add to this. Man, that is right. The flesh and the spirit battle back and forth. Which one I feed the most is going to win. So if I feed my need to slander or gossip, that's what's going to win in my life. If I say, you know what I should do? I should shut my mouth. I should guard my lips. I should make sure that that cage stays closed so I honor God with what I say. And I don't cause this little course correction that ends up in a totally different destination. And if I go to God's word and say, God, how, how would you want me to say things? What would you want me to speak? Like, like, like what, how should I respond in this situation? Then let God's word renew me. We'll get to that in a few minutes. That's, that's the heart change that we all need. It's, it's kind of like uh, having a rash on your arm, right? You've got a rash and, uh, and certainly you want to take care of that. And so you put, you put some medication on top of it an analgesic and you start rubbing that on and tomorrow, what it, what? absolutely gone. There's no sign of a rash ever in your life. It'll be gone forever. No, not. It's a process, right? The Spirit of God does that in us too. That's progressive sanctification. He, he wants to cleanse us and purify us and get us cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. And that's what he's doing with that. But ultimately, he does want to get to the heart of what's causing that rash. And let's stay away from that altogether but certainly it's slowly cleaned up. It's like a water source for people as well, right? Our city here in Mount Shasta, they have their water source. They test it all the time for, for the correct levels of, of uh, acidic contact or, or bacteria or whatever, making sure it's all clean for us to drink, right? And if it wasn't, they would treat it. And they would as they treat it, they would test it and see if they need to treat more. And they treat it again until it comes to a point where now it's pure enough for you and I to drink. The same kind of thing. So in, in us, don't feel, because if, if you're like me, I would feel absolutely defeated right now. I mean, how can we ever be right with our tongue? Slowly but surely, by the power of God and, the, and by, the, by the word of God, we can. That's how, slowly but surely. But it takes you and I yielding to God and saying, you know what, blessing and curse are not going to come out of the same mouth. If I'm identifying as a Christian, if I identify as being in Christ, if he has forgiven me and he has, 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 has cleansed me, then I am going to live how he wants me to live. It's, but it is far more fundamental than just what we say. It's, it reveals the heart, right? Now, until the heart is changed by God's grace, and the t- the talk won't change, and our words won't change. Simply resolving to do better with our words won't produce a change. Maybe temporarily. Maybe today you resolve as you go out. I'm not. I'm gonna be good with what I say. Great. Good. Thanks for resolving that. Right. The re- the resolution it doesn't here. It's here. It's a little further, little deeper in that we have to check our own heart. If you want real change, we must pray to God and ask Him that He would reveal the condition of our heart, that He would let us see our own heart, and we must yield to His Word and His Spirit to make our own heart healthy. We'll see more on that in a few minutes in point number three. Our words, though, reveal the condition of our heart. It's a heart issue. James says it in chapter one. Each person is tempted... When he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. What's James saying? Your heart is what wants this. Your heart. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. This is what James is talking about and dealing with. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about this, verses 33 to 37. He says, Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree will be known by its fruit. You get bad fruits, good, good fruit. You know, it's based on the tree. What are you abiding in? He says, brood of vipers, talking to these religious leaders, how can you speak good things when you are evil? He knew what was coming out of their mouth was flattery. He knew what was coming out of their mouth was manipulation. Although it sounded good, it was all from a bad heart. And he said this, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. I said that earlier, right? We found out the tongue is the tattletale of the heart. You want to know what's going on in someone's heart? Just listen to what they say or see what they do. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. This is what's interesting. There's a storeroom. The heart is a storeroom. Are we storing up good? Are we storing up evil? What is being stored there? This this will then produce what comes out. right? So a good person produces good things from the storeroom of good. and An evil person produces evil things from the storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, here's, this is the kicker, this is very, take this very seriously. Not your neighbor, you, me, individually. Take this very seriously. On the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless word they speak. You and I are going to have to give an account for every careless word that we speak. I told you this was a, a series that was a long time coming. I would say because it's probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever approached to preach. Because it really does reveal for you and I, plain and simple, where we stand with Jesus. And, and, and we, don't, we don't like that. That's not comfortable. But God doesn't want us to be comfortable and he certainly doesn't want to stay, us to stay comfortable in our sin and careless speech. We have to repent and turn to him. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So for you and I, what the scripture is saying, what Jesus is saying, is if there was a trial today, would you be proven innocent or guilty by what you have said? If that doesn't hurt, I'm not sure you're listening. It hurts for me to hear it. But also know this, that as we struggle with our words, as we struggle knowing it's from the depth of our heart, we can know this, that there is a God who has sent Christ to be the atonement for that sin. And for every careless word that I have uttered, if I have faith in Christ, He is willing to forgive me. And I can stand in front of God, justified. Not because of my words. I would be condemned because of my words. But I would be justified because of Jesus Christ. There is redemption in Jesus Christ. And the grace of Christ forgives. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, listen, the love of Christ compels us. We've reached this conclusion that one died for all. Therefore, all died. There's one that died for all. We've had this conclusion in us. And he died for all. And now here's what you and I do as we live outwardly from the heart, knowing Christ is our Savior, letting Him transform our heart. How do we live when Christ has forgiven us, when we know that He died for us, so we all die, that that, that life, that that way I talk, the sin, I have crucified my old self, and I have risen to newness of life with Christ. What does it mean? It means that He died for all so that those who live, you and I, who live now, should no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. The way I talk should be about the one and bringing glory to the one who died for the way I talked so I can live in a different way. So we live in constant repentance, being renewed day by day, not only in our mind or in our actions, but also in our speech because he is renewing our heart. So we watch our mouth. Why? Because the tongue is powerful and restless. And number two, we saw that the, because we watch our mouth because the heart is giving instructions to our mouth. So we need to see what's in the heart. Finally, number three, we watch our mouth. And as we do, we must be wise and let the Spirit instruct us. We must be wise and let the Spirit instruct us. And maybe this is uh, just me and my silliness. I, I wrote down um, we must be wise, not a wise cracker, right? Not a wise guy, not a wise acre, whatever you call it. That's sarcasm, right? That's, that's, we don't, we're not wanting to do that. And we need to let the Spirit instruct us. That does not mean we need to just say what we feel like we should say. It doesn't mean that at all. That we, you and I, must humble ourselves before God and say, God, what should my speech be like? What should I say? Let's look at the last few verses of James 3, 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? There's this this encouragement, like, get that. Be wise and understanding. And here's what it looks like. By his good conduct, then he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. So first off, right off the bat, when we talk about we must be wise when it comes to our mouths, Wisdom is, it says, what? That we are going to show that our works are done in gentleness. And because gentleness comes from wisdom. So if we're to be wise, then we are going to be what? Gentle. Say, say, gentle. Gentle. Say it again. Gentle. If we're going to be wise, that means we're going to be gentle. Look at, it goes on in verse 14. But, here's the contrast. But, if you're not wise and gentle, right? You have uh, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart. Don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom, the wisdom that you think that is wisdom, it's not, does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. If that's not calling the kettle black, I don't know what it is. Like it's saying, sin is sin. And if you think it's wise to to be a wisecracker and a wiseacre and and a slanderer or a gossip or someone that deceives, if you think that's good and wise, understand that that is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is in fact demonic. James said that earlier too, right? It's set ablaze by where? The tongue is set ablaze by hell itself. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, verse 16, where there's envy and selfish ambition, remember, the, the course of our life is directed by what we say. There is then disorder and every evil practice. Man, again, if we think what we say and how we said it just that one time didn't make a difference, we are fooling ourselves, and we are now the fool. He says it's, it, it is going to change the course of everything. But, I love verse 17. Here we go. This, this builds on this wisdom. But the wisdom from above, this is what we are seeking. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering and without pretense. This is what wisdom pursues, folks. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. You know what it takes to cultivate? Work. If you and I want to cultivate peace, peace, first of all, with God and peace in our heart with others by the way we pursue wisdom and be peace-loving and gentle, compliant, full of mercy, then we need to do some work to work at peace. And it comes from the fruit that God is, is, is producing from our heart because we are indwelled with the Spirit because on our own, We cannot tame the tongue. So if you're like, man, I can't wait to put these into practice, Brandon. I'm going out. I can do this. No, you can't. Only God in you can do it. And you and I have to yield to him. Cultivating peace is is so important. It produces righteousness, this this right living, and is an example of Christ in us, God's power in us. So as we close, I want to give you just two things today to think about. I've given you a lot more than that, haven't I? right? Two things, though, that I think are good application. It comes from James 1 and then Ephesians 4. And this will be just for us to consider and ponder this, this day and this week as we start to approach the areas of speech that we're going to approach. James 1. So, so the question is, what, what should I do? Like, what, what should this look like in my day-to-day life? James 1.19 says this. My brothers... And sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Stop there. If, again, if we're, if we're wanting to cultivate righteousness through and peace, this is what we're looking for. I want to be righteous. So what does James say? Every one of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. We should, in fact, be quiet. Most often, more often than not, we should be quiet. Be quiet. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So as you are quiet, then we open up the word of God. And we we rid ourselves of that envy and that malicious thought or that resentment or that quip I wanted to get off. We rid ourselves of that. We think through. We ponder maybe what was said. But we go to the word of God and test. How might I actually need to respond, if at all? And we receive the implanted word. James goes on. He says, be doers of the word. Doers of the word, not doers of your thoughts and your words. Be doers of the word of God. Again, we must be wise and let the Spirit instruct us. When it comes to the mouth, when we watch our mouth, we need to be wise and let the Spirit of God instruct us. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone who is looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently, here you go, the one who looks intently, into what? Into the perfect law of freedom. This is God's word. And perseveres in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Be blessed in what he does. Now, let's stop for a minute here, because it's really tempting for me, and maybe, maybe it's tempting for you, maybe not, maybe it's me only, it's really tempting for me to say, I've got this. I've got it. I can do that. I can be quiet and look to the Word of God. I can do this. I'm, I'm going to succeed at this. If anyone thinks he's religious, James goes on, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. The best thing to do the minute you think you've got it, think again. Test it again. Go back to God's Word. Still Still be quiet still be silent, watch your mouth. And, and, and here's, here's what I tell you to do during that silence. When, when we should be quick to listen and slow to speak, we should be being quiet, but we should have listened well, first of all. We should have really listened because whatever someone else is saying is revealing the heart, which we really wanna know what is in the heart of someone that's saying something, right? And it's not always evil, it could be very good. So we need to listen, be, be less quick to be defensive. Say, what, God, what, what is this person saying? What, is, what has this person said? What did I hear this person said? I need to be quiet. I need to think. I need to pray. I need to, I need to pause. I need to, be, I need to consider God's word, and I need to wait. And I think part of it is this, answering this question. What, if anything, should I say? Write that, write that down. What, if anything, should I say? Now that word should, is a lot different than what, if anything, do I want to say? Amen? A lot different. I want to say a lot of things sometimes. I should not say those things. Asking that question, what, if anything, should I say? And then Ephesians 4 29 through 32, this gives us a little more, and we'll see these verses again later on as we go through this series. But this should give us a little more of, what if anything should I say? Well, it should be like this. Ephesians 4, 29. No foul language should come out of your mouth. But only, only what is good for building up someone in need. That it gives grace to those who hear. It gives grace to those who hear. Or it might benefit those who listen, other translations say. So what what can we say? Well, at, when you've at, when you've been quiet and you've contemplated and you've thought and been prayerful, you've gone to the Word of God and tested it, and you've waited. When you've determined that you should say something it should be something that is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. He goes on and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed in Him for the day of re- redemption, so don't don't say something that's going to grieve God's Spirit. What are those things? Let all bitterness and anger and wrath, shouting and slander, be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. You see what we're up against here? There is this great forgiveness that has come from Jesus Christ to you. And listen, you didn't deserve it. And I didn't deserve it. So, when I want to give someone what they deserve and make sure they really dig in real deep and good, that they really feel it, you know what I do? I don't. I watch my mouth. I become quick to listen. I become slow to speak and slow to anger because I don't want to grieve God. And I speak if I should speak. I speak in a way that is building others up according to their needs that it might grace or benefit those who listen. So this week, use this verse and ask the question about what you should say. Will what I'm about to share, this is so important too, will what I'm about to say, will what I'm about to share be used for building up this person Will it be used as a means of grace to this person? How will this person receive this? Sometimes I I share something and I wonder afterwards, why in the world did I think that they needed to hear that? That's such a great question to ask too. Do, Do they need to hear this? Do they really need, or do I just need to say it? For some personal weird need. Most often, the answer is no. So we ought to watch our mouth. So as we evaluate this week, <clears throat> we should all be quick to listen, I, I think, um, and slow to speak. I, I know there's going to be small groups happening this week, and there's a discussion guide to go along with this. I have this really sneaking suspicion that there's going to be kind of some crickets going on, right? Maybe, maybe today, after church, you're, you're going to go and be with people, and maybe you're going go to you're gonna go to lunch. And you're like, and the waiter come. Can I help you? Yes, water, please. <laughs> more water, more food, something to put in my mouth, so I don't speak. Right? It's it's going to be difficult. That's okay. I really I really want you and I want me as we leave here. I really want us to be quiet. Not not, not don't don't not say hi to somebody. Say hi to somebody and give them a hug. But but as we leave, man. If, if, if you want to be critical, if you want to gossip, if you want to mention, you want to slander, you want to, you want, you have some, something going, just don't. Just stop. Let that rudder turn a different direction. Be a life giver. Be a, be a grace giver. Be a builder who builds people up. Now, we will see during this series, we'll, we'll see that there are times, there are lots of times where we must speak, and it may come across as negative or, or may it harsh, but we do that in wisdom, right? As we pursue being pure and peace-loving and gentle and compliant and full of mercy and good fruits and unwavering without pretense. That's how we talk to one another when we need to be critical. When we need to call somebody out, a brother or a sister, when we need to, to check in on somebody, that's how we do it. And if we don't do it that way, we don't do it. That's what the Word of God would say to us. So pursue what is wise this week. Desire to be quiet way more than you speak. And let what comes out of your mouth be something that builds up others according to their needs that it might benefit those who listen. Amen? I hope you'll come back next week. Would you stand with me as we uh, continue today in worship and praise of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's, let's pray together. Father, we are so, so convicted. I, I know, God, Just the hearts here today, we have heard from your word, God, and we, we are thankful for that, but God, it is, it is not always fun. So today, even now, as we worship you, may we, may we really check even the attitude of, of our worship towards you. May we have pure motives as we lift your name up, as we, as we sing these songs to our heart. May it be preached to our heart and sung to one another and preached to one another and edifying. May, may it be a, an example of the gospel of Jesus Christ to unbelieving world as well. God, we want to be your people who say what you want us to say. Help us. Help us in our deepest need just to be quiet and contemplate and know you in the heart of Jesus more than knowing that we're right or that we want to win. We thank you. We offer our praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen.